Welcome to the City Life Lansing podcast. You are loved, you belong, and you have a unique purpose from God. You can connect with us at citylifelansing.com. You belong here. Here's today's message. Morning, everybody. Volunteers in the room, if you're watching from home, so, so glad that you're here. Uh, One thing that I always say all the time is that uh, you could be anywhere in the world, but you choose to be right here, right now. So that's super super beneficial for us and for you. So if you don't know who I am, my name is Ryan. Um, uh, I help here with the tech team at City Life, so shout out to the tech team in the back back there. Doing the Lord's work. Man, so that's so cool today. We had a different, a bit of a different set going on here today. We had Rob G and his flying guitar up here. That was cool. I don't know if y'all have seen La Bamba, but you get that joke if you've seen it before. So Today, I want to talk to you about God's timing. So as you can see here, we're in a a season of dreaming here at City Life. The call that Pastor Jerome really gave us was to dream big. And he said to to return to that childlike faith and allow God to give you dreams and to speak into your heart and your life and be able to dream so big that God takes notice. He had told a story of uh, another, another Christian man who had created things like the Dream Center in L.A. And he had done a lot of really good, amazing things for the Lord in his lifetime. And at the end of his life, they had asked him, you know, what would you do differently or what did you learn? And he said that everything he dreamed about came to pass, so he must not have dreamed big enough. So that's, that's challenging to me to say that he's done so many good things. He's not like, well, I did a bunch of good stuff. Peace. I'm out graduating to heaven. Good luck to you guys, and we'll see you later. He's like, no, I dreamed a lot of things, and they all came to pass. So he was blaming himself for not dreaming big enough. So that's what this is for. This is a sideways D with like a rocket pushing that down to the earth because this is where we are. The goal for City Life is to make it in Lansing as it is in heaven. And the way we do that is receiving those big God-sized dreams for us, for the city, for the people we see every day. I was listening to some music on the way in today, and they mentioned the word loved ones. You love to see your loved ones, and, and it's, it's nice to hear them laugh. And it's like, man, if you think about God's kingdom, we're the loved ones, and he loves to see us. We're, we're the loved ones by God, so that's amazing. So one thing uh, we really want to talk about today, especially, is God's timing. And the way this really came up for me is I'm a guy, and I mentioned this earlier, too, to the volunteers in the room. I'm a guy who really likes to know the next five steps. So if if God says, all right, Ryan, I want you to go from point A to point B, I'm like, all right, Lord, but where do I go first? Like, do I go left? Do I go right? Some people just take off. I love that. My daughter is someone who doesn't ask any questions. She just goes. And I'm like, whew, I cannot live like that. So she's doing the virtual schooling thing right now. And I'm doing, I'm working from home for a majority of my time. And my day is very structured. I have a calendar that tells me where to be and when to be there because I can't be late to things. I don't want to be late to things. And then I ask her, when do you go back? She's like, I don't know, like maybe one. And I'm like, how do you live like this? I don't know whose kid she is. She might be adopted. I don't know. But with my life, I was really struggling with some things. And I'm a guy who I, I used to think I knew what my, my lane was, what my role was. I had this grand plan of what my life would look like. And God never disagreed, so I assumed he was on the same track. Little did I know he's laughing in the background because he's going to change everything. So I used to believe that I would go to this church, and this is kind of where I would retire in the faith, and I'd be on the teams there, and I would just live the rest of my life enjoying Jesus and God's gifts at this certain place. I was done. I was like, all right, let's go. What do we got to do to get cemented here? We're putting down roots. This is going to be what life is like for me. And then eventually God says, no, it's not going to be like that. So he changed everything. And I was very confused because, like I said, I was set. I was already, I had the church mortgage good to go. I had my seat picked out in the front row. I sat there every Sunday. 
We shook hands with the pastor when he passed by. I knew everybody, and that's kind of what I thought home was going to be. But God says, I have different plans for you. He didn't tell me ahead of time because he knew I'd worry so much about that. So then he really called me out of that place, and I was kind of struggling. And that's really my story of when I came to City Life. I was asking God, like, what's going on? I felt like I was in a whirlwind of emotions. Everything that I thought I knew was turned upside down because God was changing everything because his plan for my life wasn't exactly the same thing that I thought he was planning for my life. So then I asked God, what's your, vi- your, your vision and your mission for me? And he said, Lansing. The very next day I went on Facebook and I saw one of the Love the City uh, advertisements or the, the videos that we put together to show people this is what we're doing in the city. And, and it said, we're going to love the city of Lansing. And I was like, Lord, this has got to be what you're, what you're talking about for me. So enjoying City Life, been here ever since. I'm loving it. I'm here. Lord willing, I'll stay here. But uh, God is good, right? So one thing I want to stress, and this is something I really learned this morning, God knows what he's doing. Even just today I was here, and I've gotten like five confirmations of things I was struggling with. And it's like, Lord, this is so good. Even last week before this happened, uh, I had talked to Pastor Jerome about kind of what was going on in my life, and he, he mentioned this might fit in our series we have coming up about dreams. You know, keep that, in, keep that in your heart, write it down, take notes, do everything you need to do to kind of cultivate the message. And it's funny because after church last week, I was driving home, and I was thinking about all these, these verses I'm going to talk about today, and I literally preached this to myself. And I don't want you to think I'm super spiritual because I'm not. This is just like, Lord, this is what I'm thinking, and this is what you're, you're putting in my heart. So this message kind of came at the right time. So God definitely knows what he's doing. He's getting me prepared ahead of time. So we often think, too, that when we go into a season of dreaming, whether we think the dream is big or small, we think things are going to happen really fast. And sometimes they do. You know, God is good, and sometimes things happen really quickly. There's, like, healings, and then there's miracles, right? One can take six months. One can take six seconds. So God is in the business of doing both. So when you receive your dream... Just know that there's going to be a growth period. I love today that they had this plan here on stage because as I was going through my, my transition of life of where I was coming to City Life and I'm still kind of, you know, bobbing in the waves, it feels like, and I don't have a, a 100% direction of where I should go next, I'm asking God, what's going on? Because often, oftentimes I think the flesh thing is that, you know, we think about what did I do wrong? Did I make a turn where I shouldn't have? Maybe I should know better by now or whatever, and the enemy comes in and tells you, well, if you were really on the right track, you wouldn't be having the, tr- the troubles you're having right now. But that's not the truth. So as I was praying about it, this was a couple months ago, God showed me a picture of a plant, and he said, you're just growing. In this, this season we're in now with dreaming so big God takes notice, we're really in a time of a lot of seeds going into the ground, a lot of things being birthed, a lot of paths, new pathways started. Some of us are continuing. Some of us are starting new things and new, new, taking new territory. So when God uh, showed me this picture of a plant, he said, when you put the seeds in the ground, you can water those, you can nurture it, you can take care of that plant. But as the plant is growing, you just have to wait. You have to wait for the fruit to show up. And then when the time is right, the, fr- the plant will bear fruit. And your life is the exact same thing. He said, Ryan, you're just growing. Just go and grow. That's not enough. So I'm like, Lord, okay, but what do I do? And he said, just go. I get it. I'm doing that. But what else? Go and grow. That was it. So as I was uh, thinking of these and wrestling with those, um, with those thoughts, I came across a, a guy in the Bible. His name is Abraham. That's who we'll study a, a bit about today. But also on the, the whole tip of, of waiting for God's promises, you think about the Apostle Paul, one of my biggest like, all-time heroes of the faith. He wrote a majority of the New Testament. He was Saul, met Jesus on the road to Damascus, was knocked off his horse, lost his eyesight. Really crazy story. Went from Saul to Paul, was persecuting Christians, now preaching to Christians about the faith he was trying to destroy. And then he uh, started doing a lot of amazing things, wrote a lot of the New Testament. And so I would always think, like, man, that guy, I want to be like Paul. He just got it together. 
Like he got knocked off the horse, boom, ministry, he's ready to go. And I'm like, Lord, me too. You know, I wanted to do that. That's what I thought. And God's like, it's not that easy. You're not going to, it's not going to happen like that for you. So the amazing thing about Paul is that uh, he was in a season of simmering just like all of us are going to go through and all of us are going through. So I have a few notes here about Paul. In Galatians chapter 1, it says that Paul says he received his gospel by direct revelation from Jesus Christ. He said, no human taught me. The Lord gave it to me directly, which is amazing already, so I would take that. And then in Galatians 1, it first says that Paul uh, first went away into Arabia for an undisclosed period of time. So it doesn't say how long he was there. But then after that, it says that three years later, so he was there a little over three years, he returned and stayed with Peter for 15 days. So Peter is, you know, the apostle Peter, uh, part of the church. He's the rock upon the church, you know, all that stuff. So he's that guy. And then he went, uh, Paul went into the provinces of Syria and Cilicia. And here's the cool part, Galatians chapter 2. It says, then... 14 years later, I went back to Jerusalem again, this time with Barnabas and Titus came along too. I went there because God revealed to me that I should go. So what was the call? God said, hey, go to, go to this place. While I was there, I met privately with those considered to be leaders of the church and shared with them the message I had been preaching to the Gentiles. I wanted to make sure that we were in agreement for fear that all my efforts had been wasted and I was running the race for nothing. So Paul is preaching this message he got from Jesus Christ. He's pretty sure this is the God thing he's supposed to be doing, so he's going the whole time. But then 14 years later, he goes back to Jerusalem to the, the church church, the original founders of the church, the pillars of the church, and he's like, hey, guys, I just got to be honest. I've been preaching this message. Am I on track, or should I change a few things? So even then, he's reaffirming what he was already doing. So that's his going and growing. You think Paul just, well, I used to think Paul just fell off his horse and boom, fell right into ministry. The next day he woke up. It says 14 years later and then three years later, there's all this growing time that he was just away and simmering. He was growing. He was learning. So that's a lesson for me is that things aren't going to always happen in a, in a really quick, really quick time frame. So today we're going to talk about uh, Abraham. And this story is really about um, entering a season of simmering and knowing that you have a, a, a big God-sized dream and that uh, it's going to take time. So the thing I wanted you to take away today is that... Big God-sized dreams are going to also take big God-sized timing, right? So it's not always the way we think it should happen or when it should happen, but God knows what he's doing, so let's trust in him. So we're talking about Abraham today. We have a lot to cover, so I'm going to try to go through these scriptures pretty quickly. Um, story of Abraham. Abraham was, a, uh, was born to a man named Terah. Terah was the father of Abram, so Abraham's original name was Abram, not Abraham. Abram, Nahor, and Haran. Haran was the father of Lot, Abram's nephew. The, na the name of Abram's wife was Sarai. Now, Sarai was unable to come pregnant, and they had no children. So they're living it up. They're married. They have a lot of possessions, no kids. So that's just kind of what their life is like. So the story begins here in Genesis chapter 12. Genesis 12, 1 through 3. The Lord said to Abram, leave your native country, your relatives and your father's family, and go to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation I will bless you and make you famous, and you will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. All the families in the earth will be blessed through you. So again, married couple, Abram, Sarai, no kids, and then God comes, uh, shows up to Abram and tells him these things. So then what does Abram do in response to this? It's Genesis chapter 12. So Abram departed as the Lord had instructed, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he left Haran. He took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, and all his wealth, his livestock, and all the people he had taken into his household in Haran and headed for the land of Canaan. 
When they arrived in Canaan, Abram traveled through the land as far as Shechem. There he set up camp beside the Oak of Moreh. At that time, the area was inhabited by Canaanites. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, I will give this land to your descendants. Remember, no kids. No kids. She can't have kids. So this is what God's telling him. Kind of ironic. And Abram built an altar there and dedicated it to the Lord who had appeared to him. After that, Abram traveled south and set up the camp in the hill country with Bethel to the west and Ai to the east. There he built another altar and dedicated it to the Lord, and he worshiped the Lord. Then Abram continued traveling south by stages towards the Negev. So here we see this guy named Abram and his wife Sarai. They're married, and God says, hey, leave your, your native land. Go to a different place, and I'll show you. I'll give that land to your descendants. And Abram's probably like, the ones I don't have? Okay. But if you tell me to go, I'll go. So he's in his lane right at that point. God says, go, and he, says, go. he started going. The cool thing here is it says that he set up altars as different places. So if you read the Old Testament, I'm not sure how many scholars we have in the house, but the reason they set up these altars was that way they could have a visual representation of what God has done in their life. A lot of times, too, you'd see this in the, the life of the children of Israel because, you know, the first generation didn't go, get, get to go into the promised land. So it was their kids and their kids' kids that got to go after them. So what they would do is they'd set up these stone pillars. That way, anytime they were going through the land, they would see them, and then you have your kids say, like, hey, what is that? And then you could tell them about the amazing things God has done in your life. So to remember, Abram's doing the right thing. Uh, God told him to leave his, leave his native land, and he did. And then he started setting up these altars. That way, as he forgot what God was saying, he would see those altars and be reminded of the good things he did. All right, so there's a lot of stuff in Abram's story. So we're going to kind of paraphrase a little bit. So as they're traveling, there was a famine in the area that Abram was living. So he left that place and went to live in Egypt. Abram and his wife then left to a place called Bethel. Abram split up with his nephew Lot because they both had great wealth. The Bible actually says the land, the land that they lived in could not contain them both. So imagine that you and your neighbor, and it's your nephew or your cousin or somebody that you, that you get along with, you're living in this area, and then the person who owns the land says, you guys got to leave or you got to move because you guys have so many possessions that you cannot fit in the land together. I was thinking about how that would relate to us today. It's like, look, think about having like a 17-car garage or something like that, and it just can't fit next to the neighbor's house because there's not enough land for the both of you. So that's what happened here. Their herdsmen were fighting. Things were not going well. So they started um, trying to split up the land. So what happened was Abraham told Lot, you pick a spot to the left or the right. You go there. I'll go the other side. So they did that. So let's move on to Genesis 13. After Lot had gone, the Lord said to Abram, look as far as you can see in every direction, north and south, east and west. I am giving all this land as far as you can see to you and your descendants as a permanent possession. And I'll give you so many descendants like the dust of the earth, they cannot be counted. Go and walk through the land in every direction for I'm giving it to you. So Abram moved his camp to Hebron and settled near the oak grove near belonging to Mamre. There he built another altar to the Lord. So we see here that he's beginning to worship in the waiting. So they move forward a bit in the story. As Abram's traveling, war broke out in the area where Lot had moved to. So I guess Lot picked the, the bad place to land, had got a bad lot in life. I don't know. So the victors then took everything, including Lot. So they carried all this stuff and the dude out the window right there, everything he owned. One of Lot's mans luckily escaped. Uh, his like hired men for, that worked for Lot escaped and told Abram what had happened. Abram, who's not a warrior, he's just this dude that is, has a lot of possessions. He had 300, 318 trained men in his house. So he's like, all right, boys, they got my nephew. We got to go get him. So they went after these guys, they chased down the victorious army, and they caught them, and they took back everything, including Lot. So Abram is super blessed. There's a lot more to this story. So if you want to read it, Genesis, go for it. So now this is kind of where the flesh comes in. This is kind of the things that I always fail in. 
because uh, I get a little impatient, and I'm always like, Lord, what's next? And, and I, I try to help God out a little bit. Genesis 15, 1 through 6. So it says, Sometime later, the Lord spoke to Abram in a vision and said to him, Do not be afraid, Abram, for I will protect you, and your reward will be great. But Abram replied, and this is something I would say, Abram replied, O sovereign Lord, what good are all your blessings when I don't even have a son? Since you've given me no children, Eleazar of Damascus, a servant of my household, will inherit all my wealth. You've given me no descendants of my own, so one of my servants will be my heir. This is Abram's way of saying, all right, God, I'm going to help you out. This is what I'm going to do. This is what I think you, you mean by this. Then the Lord said to him, no. So he's telling him, no, what you think is right is not correct. No, your servant will not be your heir, for you will have a son of your own who will be your heir. Then the Lord took Abram outside and said to him, look up into the sky and count the stars if you can. That's how many descendants you will have. And Abram believed the Lord, and the Lord counted him as righteous because of his faith. So here's Abram saying, like, all right, I don't have any kids yet, so it's probably not going to happen like I think it's going to happen. So God must not have meant we're going to have kids, me and Sarai. So here's my servant. I'll give all my stuff to him, right? And God's like, no, you're going to have a son of your own. And then he took him outside to give him a better visual picture. That way, every time Abraham goes outside, he looks up at the sky and he says, man, I remember when God said that I'd have more descendants than all those stars up there so that he would always be reminded of what God is doing. Because oftentimes we think, Lord, are you, are you listening? Like, what's going on? I'm not hearing much. But he's always there, always working behind the scenes. All right, so here we have, we'll continue to Genesis chapter 16. A lot of scripture today, really good stuff. Uh, more, yeah, more bright ideas from the flesh is what I call this. So Genesis 16, now Sarai, Abram's wife, had not been able to bear children for him. But she, this is crazy stuff right here. But she had an Egyptian servant named Hagar. Sarai said to Abram, the Lord has prevented me from having children. Go and sleep with my servant. Perhaps I can have children through her. And Abraham agreed with Sarai's proposal. Wild stuff going on in the Old Testament, y'all, I'll tell you. Read through it. You think it's boring? There's some crazy stuff going on in here. So Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, the Egyptian servant, and gave her to Abram as a wife. Uh, this happened 10 years after Abram had settled in the land of Canaan. So they're just doing this stuff, and they're like, all right, we're going to help God out. We're going to throw him a bone here, do this thing, and we're going to have kids, and that must be what God means, right? We'll, we'll rush this promise along a little bit. So Abram uh, slept with Hagar, and she became pregnant. But when Hagar knew she was pregnant, she began to treat her mistress, Sarai, with contempt. Boom, double cross. How the turntables, they would say in the office. <laughs> then Sarai said to Abram, this is all your fault. So Hagar got, is now married to Abram, right? So she's like at the same level as Sarai, and she's the one that's pregnant. So she's like, hey, who's in charge now? I'm married just like you. I'm having kids. You can't do that. So Sarai's like, nope, not, not under my roof. So uh, Sarai says, this is all your fault, even though it was her idea. I put my servant into your arms, but now that she's pregnant, she treats me with contempt. The Lord will show who's wrong, you or me. Abram replied, look, this is probably what I would say. Look, she is your servant. Deal with her as you see fit. He's trying to keep the peace. Then Sarai treated Hagar so harshly, she finally ran away. So Hagar is being treated harshly by Sarai because she's jealous. She's all upset, even though it was her idea in the first place. But hey, we're not keeping score here. So Hagar runs away into the wilderness, and the angel of the Lord appears to her and says, hey, what are you doing out here? And she's like, oh, my mistress is treating me very badly, so I ran away. So the, this angel of the Lord says, return to your mistress and submit to her authority. So, like, do what she says. You know, do what she tells you to do. Then he tells her, you will have a son. This is so funny. The son of yours will be as untamed as a wild donkey. So it's going to be a wild dude, rough guy. This son will raise his fist against everyone, and everyone will be against him. And this is Ishmael. So Hagar gave birth to Ishmael when Abram was 86 years old. So Abram's let me help you out, God, plan was in full effect. 
So we'll continue here in Genesis chapter 17. When Abram was 99, so Ishmael was born when he was 86. And it doesn't say, the Bible doesn't say that God talked to him again until he was 99 years old. So there's a gap there. What's he doing? He's worshiping in the waiting. He's going and growing, probably getting a little upset along the way because God isn't saying a whole lot about this. So when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am El Shaddai, God Almighty. Serve me faithfully and live a blameless life. I will make a covenant with you by which I will guarantee to give you countless descendants. At this, Abram fell face down on the ground. Then God said to him, this is my covenant with you. I will make you the father of a multitude of nations. Still no kids besides Ishmael. What's more, I am changing your name. It will no longer be Abram. Instead, you will be called Abraham, for you will be the father of many nations. I will make you extremely fruitful. Your descendants will become many nations, and kings will be among them. So before, it was numerous as sand of the seashore, and then it would turn to count the stars if you can. That's how many descendants. Now he says you'll have multitude of nations, and kings will be among them. So he keeps building on the dream every time he talks to Abraham. God also changes Sarai's name in Genesis 17, 15 through 19. Then God said to Abraham, regarding Sarai, your wife, her name will no longer be Sarai. From now on, her name will be Sarah. And I will bless her and give you a son from her. Yes, I will bless her richly, and she will become the mother of many nations. Kings of nations will be among her descendants. Then Abraham bowed down to the ground, but he laughed to himself in disbelief. So here's God saying all this stuff, but Abraham's like, okay, you say this, but I don't see a whole lot happening. How could I become the father at the age of 100? So he keeps getting older. So he's like, every time I get older, God's dream is like pushed farther away. He thought, and how can Sarah have a baby when she is 90 years old? So Abraham said to God, may Ishmael live under your special blessing. Here's Abraham again inserting the flesh and saying that you must be talking about Ishmael. So yes, make Ishmael live under all the good stuff you just said. But God replied, no, Sarah, your wife. <laughs> I don't know why he spelled that out as if it'd be someone else. That's funny will give birth to a son for you. You will name him Isaac. Here's God's sense of humor. Isaac means laughter, or he laughs. So because he laughed at God's plan, he's like, you're going to name your son Isaac. How funny is that? So God has an amazing sense of humor. I will confirm my covenant with him and his descendants as an everlasting covenant. As for Ishmael, I'll bless him also, just as you have asked. I will make him extremely fruitful and multiply his descendants. He will become the father of 12 princes, and I will make him a great nation. Even though Ishmael wasn't a part of the original plan, God still says, because you asked me to, I'll bless him too. And he's going to have, you know, an amazing life, and he's going to be the father of 12 princes. So even though we're going through this, this path in this unknown territory to find these big God-sized dreams, know that when we make mistakes, and we will make mistakes, that God will even bless your blunders. Don't think that God's going to say, well, you shouldn't have done that. Like, if you would have known better, so now you get to suffer having Ishmael, and there's child support payments and all this crazy stuff. He's not going to do that. He's going to bless your blunders because he loves you enough, and he knows already that you're going to go through those things. So later on, we see that Abraham had three visitors. This is all part of the story. We're coming to the end. We're getting to the good stuff. So these three angels, or their, their visitors, come to Abraham. He sees them in the distance. He calls them to come to his home, and then they, they cook food for them. So in Genesis 18 through 9, uh, 18, 9, one of the men says to Abraham, Where is Sarah, your wife? The visitors asked. She's inside the tent, Abraham replied. She's in there cooking and cleaning and doing her thing. Then one of them said, I will return to you about this time next year, and your wife Sarah will have a son. Sarah was listening to this conversation in the tent. So there's the one-year time frame. We'll skip ahead to Genesis 21. The Lord kept, this is, this is the culmination of the story, from the beginning of when he, God told him to move from his, his native land to all the visions and all the dream casting, and then now it's coming to a close here. The Lord kept his word and did for Sarah exactly what he had promised. 
She became pregnant, and she gave birth to a son for Abraham in his old age. This happened at just the time God had said. If you could write this down and underline that six times, that's the key to this story. This happened at just the time God said it would. And Abraham named their son Isaac. So again, I tell you, a God-sized dream will take God-sized timing. I know in my life, uh, and then also God will bless your blunders. I know that's true because I've made a lot of those in my time. So there was this time I was at a, a church service, and, and Rob, you can come up, and we'll, we'll get ready to, to land the plane here, so to speak. I was at a church service, and I remember this uh, guy was praying for people, and this young man went up to, God, went up to the, the preacher guy, and he was like, young man, what can I do for you? And, the young, and I've told this story before, but it's a very pivotal moment in my life uh, with, in my walk with God. He told the guy, I just want more of God. And I was like, man, that's so cool, very spiritual, you know, thanks for asking for that. And the preacher guy, he was like, you know, you can't really get more of God. God has to get more of you. And I was like, oh, that's so good. I wrote it in my journal. And then I went home and I thought about that. So what did I do? I thought about the fleshly things that I could do. What can I do? How, do I, how does God get more of me? So what I did is I went on this, this crazy uh, just travel of wanting to go to more conferences, wanting to read more, wanting to pray more, wanting to fast more, which those are all really good things in and of themselves. But I was doing them for the very wrong reason. I wasn't doing them in a response to God's love. I was trying to get something from God. I was like, all right, Lord, I'm going to show you how serious I am so I can be like those guys, you know, the, the people on TV, the people that pray for the sick and all that stuff. But I was so frustrated, and it was so dead and void of life because I was just doing it out of the flesh. I wasn't doing it because God wanted me to. And he was, like, just watching me struggle the whole time because God loves me like that. So as I was reading my Bible, I got to the, the book of John, which is my favorite of the Gospels. And there's a story in the, in the book of John where God, or Jesus feeds the 5,000 with the, the loaves and the fish, right? Well, after that, he leaves to the other side of a mountain, and he takes his disciples with him. So the people that he fed the night before, they wake up, and all of a sudden they're like, hey, Jesus is not here. Where did he go? So they, they take off, and they see there's no boats at the dock, so they take off across the water, and they find Jesus where he is. And so this is where the story picks up in John 6, 22. It says, The next day the crowd that had stayed on the far shore saw that the disciples had taken the only boat and they realized Jesus had not gone with them. Several boats from Tiberias landed near the place where the Lord had blessed the bread and the people had eaten. So when the crowd saw that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they got into the boats and went across to, C to Capernaum to look for him. They found him on the other side of the lake and asked, Rabbi, when did you get here? Rabbi means teacher, and they called Jesus that. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. You want to be with me because I fed you, not because you understood the miraculous signs. So he's like, you guys just want a free meal. That's why you're here. You're not here because you understood what I'm doing and who I am. It's because I fed you, and that's okay. He called them out where they were so they knew they couldn't hide from him. Don't be so concerned about perishable things like food. Spend your energy seeking the eternal life that the Son of Man can give you. For God the Father has given me the seal of his approval. Now this hit me like a bolt of lightning because this is exactly where I was in my life at the time. They replied, we want to perform God's works too. What should we do? Right, Because in my struggle of going to try to do more things to show God I was serious and I meant business, I kept asking God, what more do you want me to do? I feel like I'm doing everything, but I'm getting nowhere. So they asked Jesus, what, more must, must, what should we do? So Jesus told them in verse 29, Jesus told them, this is the only work God wants from you. Believe in the one he has sent. So as you're going, as you're growing, and you're thinking, what more must I do to make this dream come to pass? Do the only work that God requires of you. Just believe in the one he sent. 
Know that these dreams are coming from God, that God is the one ordaining the timing. There's a verse in the Bible that I love quite a bit. It's in Proverbs, and it says that man makes his plans, but God directs your steps, which means I can plan whatever I want in my life, but God's like, all right, you're not going to go that way. I may think that I can become uh, something on this side of the spectrum, and he's like, nope, you're going to go to the right. You know, I thought I was going to stay at this, this one church forever, and he says, no, you're going to go to this place called City Life, the city on a hill. So God-sized dreams will take God-sized timing. Even if you fail in your mission, as we saw with Ishmael, God will bless your blunders. It doesn't mean we should go out and make a bunch of mistakes, but you will because we're human, we're people. God knows that. The beautiful thing about salvation and about Jesus Christ is that if you think about any mistake you made today, maybe on your drive here you had road rage, or maybe you stayed up too late last night, or whatever it might be, whatever mistakes you've made, God already knew you were going to make those, and he saved you anyways because his love for you is so great. There's this thing I like to say is that God would rather die than live without you, and he did in the body of his son on the cross just to have you back. That's how amazing God's grace and love is for you. Amen. So yeah, to recap, we're going to worship in the waiting. Make sure you set up those pillars, take those notes, and don't think about so much about how far you have to go. Think about how far you've come already, and always remember what God has done for you and said to you. You're into a season of simmering. We're in, we're in that part of the plant. We're growing. So just go and grow and be content to stay in your lane and do what God wants you to do. And also, a big God-sized dream will take God-sized timing. So we'll close in prayer. Father, thank you so much for this. Lord, I ask that you just open our hearts and make us able to receive everything you have for us. Lord, correct us gently and help us understand that sometimes what we plan is not the same as what you plan. But Father, thank you for your grace and your in your 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 goodness, and thank you for giving us Jesus. Lord, just help us be more like him every day. Father, I thank you. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, thank you so much for joining us today. Join us again next week, 10 and 11.30, right here at the same place. All races, all faces from all places, you belong here. Here at City Life, we're going to keep loving the city one life at a time, and we won't stop until God makes all things new. Have an amazing week, and we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to the City Life Lansing podcast. Loving you and loving the city one life at a time. To get connected, learn more, and invest financially, go to citylifelansing.com. You belong here.